Um, morning, everyone. Amazing to be here. Uh, today, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. We don't have a screen. Uh, just before we go there, I just felt as we were worshipping, uh, there's someone sitting in this section here, and um, you, had a, 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 you had a bad diagnosis this week uh, to do with your stomach, and um, you're really worried, fearful, anxious about it, as well as being in pain. Uh, I would love to pray for you. Please come and find me at the end of the meeting. Uh, I want to pray for you about your fear, uh, but also that the Lord would give you a healing in that area. So if that's you, please come and find me later. Is that okay? Great. Um, uh, one of the things that I do, uh, kind of half my job is for Reading Family Church, half my job is uh, outwards working uh, into various areas in the Middle East, Central Asia, and um, this week I've been uh, traveling in Central Asia. We've got a family who are looking to move uh, to a city there in a Muslim-majority nation, and so we've spent a week there this week uh, meeting people, just trying to find out what God is doing, um, listening to stories, just traveling to learn, really, and understand if we could serve there. And um, I just wanted to share with you uh, about a lady that I met. Um, she's, uh, she's a local lady from that nation. She's 72 years old, single woman. Uh, and we sat in her home, and we felt like we were sitting in the feet of Jesus or sitting in the New Testament. It was quite extraordinary. She's Muslim background believer came to faith on her own, has overcome incredible challenges in her family uh, and her community. And what she does, basically, no one's taught her anything. She's never had any outside input. She reads the Bible, and she goes, okay, I'm going to do that then. And she's been traveling around the villages in her nation, uh, going into places, telling people about Jesus uh, for decades now, all on her own. And um, she told us, I mean, we just sat there for hours, basically. She was just telling us stories. It was incredible. But one story she told us, I just, when I heard it, I thought, I want to share it with you guys. Um, and she said, uh, she went into this one village. Uh, she felt she should visit this village. And when she turned up, there was a bunch of women uh, who grabbed her and brought her in and said, you're someone who prays. Please come and pray for our young man. And this young man had had a stroke a couple of years earlier, and he's been paralyzed and in bed for two years. And she said he couldn't move in his body, completely paralyzed, but also his tongue was paralyzed, so he couldn't talk. So he's just been lying in bed for two years, not in a coma, watching the world go by, but unable to interact. And they said, please, will you pray for him? And she was like, I've never prayed, you know, I've never prayed, how do you pray? So she said, God, please, could you do something amazing here? Amen. <laughs> I mean, what would you do? And then she said she left, and when she um, traveled back through that region one month later, they all came running out of the house when they saw her and said, guess what, guess what, as soon as you prayed, he got up, and he's been walking and talking, and he won't stop talking. And she said, um, so she sat down with, the, with this young man, and she said, please tell me what happened, how did you get out of bed? And he said, well, I was lying there. You came in and prayed, and then you walked out of the door. And after you walked out of the door, I saw two men who I didn't recognize walk into my room through the door. And one stood at the foot of my bed, and one stood at the head of my bed, and they had an argument about me. And he said, the man at the foot of my bed said, this man is a sinner, and he deserves to die. And the, the one at the, the head of my bed said, no, no, the Lord has decreed that this man should live. 
And he said, these two figures were arguing over me, and I was lying there wanting to go, I like what he's saying, <laughs> but I couldn't move. And then he said, finally, the, the figure at the head of my bed said, no, the Lord has decreed that he shall live and serve him. And he walked out of the room. And so he said, the, the, the figure at the end of my bed, the angel at the end of my bed said, oh, fine then, let him live, and walked out in a strop. <laughs> and, he said, and she's telling us this story. We're sitting there going, no way. And, and, and so he said, as soon as that had happened, he felt a tingling and he realized he needed a wee. So he jumped out of bed and went to the toilet. And all the people in the house heard him moving around and heard the toilet flush. So they come and said, what happened to you? And he said, well, I needed a toilet. So I got up and went to the toilet. And they said, hang on, now you're talking as well. He said, yeah, yeah, I'm talking, you know. So as, as this story's uh, being told to her by this young man, Ismira says to him, so this lady says to him, I feel that the Lord has raised you up for a purpose. So now you need to dedicate the rest of the time that you've got left to prayer, to reading the Bible, and to telling people what the Lord has done for you. And he said, absolutely, that's what I'll do. That's what I'll give my life to. And she said, for the next year, whenever she drove through that area, she would come and she would ask him, are you doing it? Are you reading your Bible? Yes. Are you praying? Yes. Are you telling people what the Lord has done for you? Yes. And she was like, amazing, keep going, my brother. But she said, after a year... She drove through that area, and she visited his home, and she found him, really unusually, sitting on the sofa, watching TV, and eating snacks. And she said to him, what's happened to you? Aren't you reading the Bible? She, he said, no. Aren't you praying? He said, no. Aren't you telling people what the Lord has done for you? He said, no. And she said, well, from this point on, I'm not responsible for what will happen in your life. And she walked out. And she said, within a month, he was dead. And um, I, I think it's just a real privilege to travel to places, hear some of what God's doing. You know, this lady's telling us this is what the Lord has done in her life, and we're sitting in her front room, eating her food. And I think it's a privilege just to come and, and share that, and um, make of it what you will, be encouraged, be challenged, be provoked. Um, but these are real things that are happening in our world, Amen. And um, today we're, gonna, we're continuing this series that we're looking at of the fruit of the Spirit. So we've been looking at what does the Holy Spirit do in a community? And we've looked at so many different things over the last few weeks. And today we're looking at quite a famous idea from the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit in the community produces fruit. And it's quite a well-known idea, isn't it? You know, we... If you went to Sunday school when you were little, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And, and, and we're quite familiar with this idea. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. But this is the passage I want us to look at today. And so let's read, first of all, uh, from Galatians 5, verse 16. It's on your QR code. It's in your notes. It's in your Bible. Or you could just listen to me. Galatians 5, from verse 16. Let's read this passage of Scripture. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then if you skip down to chapter 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Should we pray together? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the extraordinary thing that happens when these three come together. The Word of God, the family of God, and the Spirit of God. And I pray that in all of this, as we sit together, we'd see the Son of God. I pray, Lord, speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit, blow through this room or non-room. Come, open up our hearts, open up our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. So yes, I brought a watermelon with me today, a nice big one. 15 kilos, that is. I was going to go, does anyone want to just stand at the front and just hold it and just show off your guns for a while? Where's Tex? Um, but then we thought, that's harsh because it's live streamed and it could be embarrassing for someone, so it's just on the table. Um, but this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, it's a very famous idea that you may be familiar with. It may be new to you. Um, but I want us to zoom out today and, and wrestle with the passage a little bit and understand that it's not talking about how to become a nicer person. Okay? You want to do that, read Jordan Peterson or a million other self-help books out there. It's not about your internal morality. It's not how can I be more loving, how can I be more peaceful, how can I be more zen. It's not about that at all. In fact, it's not about individuals. It's about a community. So we're not looking for the fruit of the Spirit in individuals. It's the, the passage is about what does the fruit of the Spirit look like in a community, in a family. It's not saying, do this. It's actually saying, this has been done for you in Christ Jesus. It's not actually static and internal about your inner moral world. It's actually expansive, and it's about transforming the world and bringing the fruit of the kingdom of God into all kinds of spaces. And it's not just about now. It's actually about eternity, this passage. It looks forward even to heaven. And so 
we need to zoom out a little bit. We've done that in the passage. We're not just looking at two verses. We're looking at two chapters. Uh, but also, we need just to zoom out. So often, guys, if you read the Bible and you're saying, what does it say about me? You're doing violence to the Bible because that's not what it's trying to tell you. And we've got to sometimes get out of our own heads or stop looking in the mirror and think God is talking about making a new world. God's talking about... That's what we've been trying to nail during this series, haven't we? Is what does it look like to be a community of the Spirit, to see the life of God in other people, and that stir you on yourself? And I'll tell you this one as well for free. Christ-likeness... Well, we didn't take an offering. It's all for free, right? Christ-likeness is not achievable on your own. We're not looking for Christ-like individuals. We're looking for a Christ-like community. We can't look like Jesus without each other because no one's got it all. No one's got all the gifts of the Spirit. No one's got all the fruit of the Spirit. No one's got all the life of God. We must lean into each other's strengths and lean into what the Holy Spirit's doing with each other in order to look like Jesus. People are going to see Jesus in his body, which is the church, yeah? So, why have we got a watermelon? Well, the, the other title for this sermon could be The Watermelon and the Weeds. And there's a few things going on here. Firstly, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So, the fruit of the Spirit is singular, not plural. There's not nine fruits of the Spirit. And I've got four, and I'm just going to supermarket sweep to get the other five, and then I'm done full house. It doesn't say that. Fruit is singular, right? So it's talking about a fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit in the family of God that looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Yeah? So the Greek word for fruit is karpus, which being someone who grew up in a Greek-speaking world, I could tell you assuredly means watermelon. If I walk into a shop in a Greek-speaking country and say, give me a karpus, he's going to give me a watermelon. So my, read, my Bible translation, if I was translating this for you, which you'd be very welcome to, would be the watermelon of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Seriously, right? Now, why is that cool? Because you don't eat a watermelon on your own. I mean, you could try and eat that on your own. It's going to hurt you. Maybe Dan Rogers might get there over a couple of days. You eat watermelon with family. You enjoy it together. You share it. It's a family fruit. So again, we're trying to get out of this idea of, here's my personal apple. And we're going, no, no, fruit is something that we eat together. Watermelons, they take a long time to grow. 100 days. So we're not in a hurry. They're filling they're refreshing. They satisfy your hunger and quench your thirst. That's pretty impressive for a fruit. They're full of seeds, so they've got multiplicative potential inside them. They're resilient. They're tough. They don't bruise easily like your silly English peaches. <laughs> you can't bruise this bad boy. That's like a proper fruit, right? So tough, resilient. That's the kind of fruit that we're talking about when we talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the community of God. So, here we go. We're just going to try and de-individualize, demoralize, and de-immediatize this passage. Zoom out a little bit and say, 
what Paul is showing us in these verses is something that's much bigger than just how do I become a better person. You want to become a better person? Go Waterstones in town. There's a whole self-help section. That's not what this project is, okay? So, firstly, we're not talking about individual, we're talking about community fruit. Uh, Chapter 5, verses 19 to 23. It's going to paint a picture of two kinds of community, two kinds of society, if you like. The works of the flesh are evident, so that's over here. The works of the flesh, it's all cobwebs and thorns and thistles and tombstones and dust and muck. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a picture of one kind of world that you could live in. Then he paints a picture of a completely different kind of world, different, completely different kind of society. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So two pictures of the world, two different kinds of society, and both are full of community dynamics. You can't have envy and dissensions and jealousy on your own. You need other people to do that with. You can't be patient and loving and gentle on your own. You need other people to do that with. And parents who today are celebrating the gift of God to you of children, do you know what gifts children are? They're a gift to destroy your illusions about how self-controlled and patient (laughs) and gentle you are. Uh, The Lord gave me four children. He obviously thought I needed many illusions destroying And and so this is not a picture of things that you're choosing on your own. Otherwise, you end up thinking about how am I behaving instead of in whom am I believing. And otherwise, you end up thinking about what am I doing rather than what has Christ done? Yeah, the whole platform of Christianity is not what am I doing. It's what has Jesus done? So we're so used to life being about production and key performance indicators and measurability and performability that we think we're talking about measurable fruit that we can produce in our lives. No, the idea is the community reaps what individuals sow. Okay? So if a selfish individual sows selfishness and greed and choosing themselves or their own comfort over other people... If a selfish individual keeps sowing these choices and everybody does that, you end up with a world, a society that looks like what you read on your news that's full of thorns and thistles and mess and pain and darkness. And so our acts, our emissions, our thoughts, they're the building blocks of a society that ends up being a place where nobody wants to live. No one wants a world that looks like that, right? It's a similar idea to, and, and we keep using this analogy, I think it's really helpful. The, the biblical understanding of sin is a similar idea to the climate emergency, where individual choices and actions end up bequeathing a world to others that they wouldn't have chosen to live in. And in a sense, that's what sin does. It just keeps building a world that ends up looking nasty. 
And so the Bible is very clear. If the world looks nasty, who do we blame? Well, we blame ourselves and everybody else because the sin came out from inside us, right? Who, who else's fault is it? It's not God's fault. He made something beautiful. We're the ones that messed it up. Turn to the person next to you and tell them you're the one that messed it up. And now I'm... Um, now tell yourself, and I'm the one that messed it up. So what's, what's if, the, if, the, if the problem with the world is sin that comes from inside people, and we're all responsible, what's the answer? Because if I stop sinning, you're still going to keep sinning. <laughs> so me improving myself isn't going to solve the problem, actually. So why bother, right? And... Um, Galatians 6 and 7, so a little bit later, the, the, the verse that we read, says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So what it says is you reap what you sow. And it says this is a true thing. Everyone who sows, you know, if you sow mess, you reap mess. If you sow pain, you reap pain. If you sow friendlessness, you reap friendlessness, right? This is true, but there is a majestic, mysterious, incredible exception to this, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, we don't reap what we sow. We don't get what we deserve. Actually, Jesus reaps what we sowed, and we reap what he sowed. Because Jesus comes into the world that we created with mess and pain and darkness, and he takes that on the cross, so on the cross, Jesus absorbs all the stuff that, you know, our cobwebs were all over him. Our thorns were all around him. The, the mess and the darkness that came out from inside us is what kills Jesus. So he takes our punishment. We sowed, he reaps. But by the same way, Jesus came and sowed what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus came to create something beautiful. And we reap that, even though we don't deserve. So the gospel, isn't it, friends, this great exchange. I don't get what I deserve. By the grace and the mercy and the love and the kindness of our Lord Jesus. So we sowed to the flesh, but Christ reaps death. Christ sows to the spirit, and we reap life. The second thing, just in terms of zooming out on this, is this passage really isn't about what you do. This passage is really about what Jesus has done. Okay, we see it really clearly. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So it says here that, that there's something that has been done. The, the flesh has been crucified, past tense. So it's not like the monk in the Da Vinci Code who keeps whipping himself, you know, keeps trying to crucify his flesh. Keep, I'm going to keep trying to work on myself to make myself better. That's not the gospel. That's not what we signed up for. That's not what we're doing here. We're not trying to crucify our flesh because Christ has already done it. So what does that mean for us? It means that the way from this field in which we were living, the field of weeds and thorns and thistles, 
The way from this field over into the new field that Jesus is planting, the new world that he's creating, full of fruit and life and beauty and watermelons. The way from there to here is through faith in the crucifixion of Jesus. So the way from there to here is actually through identifying with the death of Jesus on the cross and in our own baptism, celebrating that. Baptism's what? It's like a burial, right? They used to make baptism pools in the shape of coffins. And you think, isn't that a little bit dark? And you say, yeah, yeah, but that's the whole point. You die to your old life. You're buried, it's gone, and then you rise again to a new life in a brand new field surrounded by the grace of God that you didn't plant. You walk into a field that already planted for you, full of fruitfulness, full of life. And so the way from there to here is actually through a death, faith in the death of Jesus. Now what that means is, interestingly, what keeps you here, what keeps you in your faith, what keeps you in fruitfulness, what keeps you in the fruit of the Holy Spirit that you didn't plant and that you don't deserve is actually not you. You're not kept here by your choice to be here. You're kept here by the death of Jesus, which is a historical fact, which is something that has been accomplished. So you can't go back. It's like you came through a portal, and when you came out the other side, the portal disappeared. And you can't go back. You can't go back to your old life. You might try, you might choose, but what Paul's telling us here is it's impossible because you've come through the death of Jesus, which is a hard fact. Does that make sense? So faith in Christ got you here, but what keeps you here is the fact that the crucifixion of Jesus is an epoch-changing, cosmos-transforming, history-redefining, decisive, once-for-all, drawn hard line act of God. It's a, it's, a, it's a solid border and you've crossed it and you can't go back. So the whole tone of this passage is not some days I produce weeds and some days I produce a little teeny tiny watermelon. The whole tone of this passage is actually there's two different kinds of world. Which world do you want to live in? And for those who are in Christ, look at the fruitfulness that's been given to you in Jesus. He sowed. He sowed himself. You know, Jesus' own body was a seed. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains one. But if it dies, then it produces much fruit. And so Jesus is sown into the world. And out of his resurrection comes fruitfulness that we walk into. We walk into the garden. It's amazing. I actually once got lost. I grew up in Cyprus. That's why I like watermelons. I was in the mountains. I was 14 with a friend. We were traveling around in the mountains. And um, we got lost, and it was hot, and we were thirsty and tired. And I'm, I'm not lying. We stumbled into a field of watermelons. So we were dusty, tired, thirsty. And suddenly, we lifted our heads, me and my mate, and we're standing in a field of watermelons. And we just thought, it's like heaven. We can eat, we can drink, we can look after ourselves. Once I was hitchhiking, I've got a lot of watermelon stories. Once I was, I don't know why, uh, once I was hitchhiking across Europe, 
Um, I was 16, had no money, needed to try and get back to England. And um, I got picked up by a, a gypsy family, horse-drawn cart, and on the back of the cart, full of watermelons. And they said, you can sit here and just eat as much as you want. So I'm just sitting on the back of this cart, eating watermelons, <laughs> traveling through South Serbia, I think. And, um, but that, that's the gospel, right? Suddenly, you find yourself in a field full of the fruit of the Spirit. Suddenly, you find yourself surrounded by the goodness of God. You didn't plant it and sow it and wait for it. This is what we planted and sowed and waited for. This is what we deserve. And then through the death of Jesus, we find ourselves in a place of abundant goodness and sweetness. And we look around ourselves at the fruit of the Spirit and the garden that he's planted us in. And we rejoice in the goodness of God. Amen? And the tone is, the language is really similar to Genesis. Because in, in Genesis, Adam and Eve were in the garden with the fruit. Maybe, it does, the Bible doesn't tell us what fruit they ate, right? Um, that's why I always tell my kids, don't eat any fruit. Because you don't know which one is the dangerous one that's going to get you thrown out of paradise. We just eat meat in my family. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe the fruit that Eve ate was a watermelon. It looked good, you know, she tasted it. I don't know. But... They're thrown out of the paradise of God, and then in the curse, when they're thrown out of the Garden of Eden, what is said to them? Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return." And so we lost the garden and we inherited thorns and thistles and the sweat of our brow and the hard ground. And um, when Jesus comes, that's our story, right? And when Jesus comes, he's crowned with the crown of thorns. So that's not just, oh, it's uncomfortable and painful, but it's symbolically he's taking the curse, the stuff that we earned, the, the stuff that we produced, the thorns, the mess, the, the nastiness. He took that, he's crowned with that. Is jammed onto his brow. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweated blood. Here it's, we're told, you know, part of the curse is the, the sweat of working and producing nothing, no fruit, no goodness. And so Jesus takes our curse upon himself. And out of his resurrection, when he comes out of the grave, he steps out into a garden. In fact, when Mary sees him, she's like, are you the gardener? And it's kind of, yes. I've come to plant watermelons all over a broken world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And um, thirdly, what we see in this passage is it's not a static internal idea, not just internal to the church, but we're talking about something that's missional, that's expansive, that's transformative, because the mission that God gave to his people is to go into the desolate places and plant gardens, to carry our little bit of seed and go into new places and sow the kingdom of God. Amen? So that the pictures that Jesus is telling is always that. You know, a farmer goes out to sow seed. That's what we do. We're the farmers. We go out, we sow seed. We, we bring the kingdom of God, sow love, sow joy, sow peace. So these are missional values. These are things that will bring a new world. You walk into your workplace where everyone's angry and grumpy and it looks like that. Does your workplace look like this? I would say mine does, but I work for the church, so I'd better be careful. <laughs> My workplace is watermelons every day, hallelujah. 
You walk into your workplace, sow some gentleness, some faithfulness, some self-control. See in what way it brings the kingdom of God. So we, we sow into the, the desolate world. We sow the life and the fruitfulness of God. And that's what we do. That's why I was in Central Asia last week. We're going to a place and we're saying, can we plant a garden here? Can we bring some life here? Can we bring some fruitfulness here in the spirit of God? That's what we're called to do, friends. And then finally... be fair, I think my um, laptop can't handle the heat. It's kind of fried itself, which is fine. Finally, it's not just about now. There's a tone in this passage that's pointing to the end of the world. You know, all the way through Scripture, the idea is, how does mankind get back to the garden? And in the prophets, like in Isaiah, you keep reading things like his gardening the wilderness. You know, let the trees of the field clap their hands. Instead of thorns and thistles, myrtles and pines will grow. We keep having these promises that at the end of the world, at the end of all time, there will be fruitfulness. And when we see the picture of heaven, it's got rivers, it's got trees, it's got fruit, it's got watermelons everywhere. Heaven is basically living inside one big watermelon. No, it isn't. That's getting a little carried away with a metaphor. But there's this picture all the way through the scripture that fruitfulness is coming, that life is coming, that, that, that we're coming back to what we lost in Eden, but even better, even richer, even sweeter. And so when we read in these passages that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, we say, wow, and Jesus is making a new world. He's starting here amongst us. But one day, his glory will fill the earth. And one day, even our own bodies will be sown like seed. 1 Corinthians 15. We'll be laid down to die. We'll be buried or cremated. And we're told we'll be sown perishable but raised imperishable will be sown made of dust, but raised made of glory. will be sown full of pain and tears, but raised full of freedom and light. And so even our own bodies, our own flesh, will be buried, be sown like planting a seed, and then will be raised in the end of time when Jesus comes back and there will be fruitfulness and life. So these pictures, they're all the way through the story of the world. They're all the way through our story. And I just want to encourage you, friends, let's allow the Holy Spirit to bear his fruit amongst us. Let's allow the Spirit to blow through this garden, to bring his water, to bring his rain. Let the gardener prune and tidy up and weed it's his garden, and he will produce great fruit, community fruit, a world that looks different here, but that spills out and overflows from here and impacts all the spaces in which we're found. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's stand together. And maybe you just want to lift your hands.
if you're comfortable with that, and welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you're the great gardener. We thank you that you produce fruitfulness. We thank you that we find ourselves, that we've stumbled into your garden. We've stumbled out of what we deserved and stumbled into great fruitfulness and great life. And so now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we speak over each one here, great fruitfulness. Lord, great fruitfulness. Make us fruitful in our homes. Make us fruitful in our workplaces. Make us fruitful in our neighborhoods. Make us fruitful in our families. Make us uh, generous when we sow seed. Let us sow seed to the right and to the left. Fill our lives with your fruit, oh God. Enough for ourselves and enough to share. Let us be those who refresh others that we may ourselves be refreshed. Let us be those that share the goodness of God with others that we may ourselves receive the goodness of God. Make us fruitful in forgiveness. Make us fruitful in peacemaking. Make us fruitful in fixing broken relationships. Make us fruitful in serving our communities with love. Make us fruitful in showing the kindness of God to those who don't know you. Make us fruitful, O God. Put fruit in us, O God. Let there be joy. Let there be love. Let there be peace and patience. Oh, God, please let there be patience. Oh, Lord, we're waiting for patience. Let there be kindness. Let there be goodness. Let there be faithfulness. Let there be gentleness. Let there be self-control. In Jesus' name, amen.